Hello and welcome to another edition of Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols. It's with great pleasure that I welcome back Newcastle podiatrist Stephen Boskill. Stephen, it's nice to have you here in the studio. And we're looking today at looking after children's feet and in particular juvenile plantar dermatosis. Amongst other things, I want to talk about children's feet conditions, but we'll start off with that one. And uh, can you tell me exactly what it is, please? Juvenile uh, plantar dermatosis sorry, is normally uh, more commonly known as sweaty sock dermatitis. I suppose everyone that's got adolescent children or can remember back to their adolescent days remembers the, uh, the first thing that's very noticeable in its diagnosis is the smell. It produces its own problems of embarrassment, which can be especially difficult for teenagers in their formative years. And it can, in some conditions, become very uncomfortable. If left unchecked, can become extremely painful and debilitating. Do you know what causes it? Well, really, the major cause is basically too much sweating. And in certain cases, mainly in males, um, an inherited condition called hyperhidrosis, which just means um, too much moisture in the feet, um, which can be uh, partly a nervous condition. Um, the perspiration basically becomes trapped in the socks and the footwear, and this upsets the skin balance and provides a wonderful incubator for bacteria and fungal spores, which just love to breed away to their heart's content in that nice, warm, dark environment. Does it affect all children? Not necessarily, no. It's, um, it's something that is concerned, as I say, with partly with uh, the, the skin type, um, also other factors such as uh, personal foot hygiene, also, it can be uh, more prevalent, perhaps towards the teenage years, when there's hormonal changes. The sweat in the um, foot becomes tracked, and it can have different effects on the skin. What we should do, really, is look at basic skin dermatology of the hands and the feet. Now, they contain more sweat glands than other parts of the body. Roughly about 500 sweat glands per square centimetre, or in the old terms, about 3,000 sweat glands per uh, square inch. So we're all very aware of, of the old nervous condition of sweaty palms. The big difference between sweaty palms and sweaty feet is normally if our hands perspire, um, they're in an open environment, the perspiration evaporates away or we can wipe it off somewhere dry and nothing else happens. But with feet, of course, and socks, the uh, perspiration stays trapped in there. The temperature of a shoe actually can rise to about 48 degrees centigrade quite easily. And so the whole thing becomes a vicious cycle. It becomes wet, uh, wet and hot, and the perspiration just keeps going on. Do the kids grow out of it? They can grow out of it. Um, most people do. I think a lot of this is due, due as I say, with the passing of time, the, the hormonal conditions uh, change. Um, also stressors, actually psychological stress is a condition that can exacerbate it, as I said, with the sweaty hands. Um, they tend to grow through also with better management as you get older of knowing how to treat the condition and manage your footwear and uh, etc. does help to prevent it occurring. Steve, when these children start off with this thing, are they usually little? Is it once they start to wear shoes on a permanent basis? Yes, look, I, I tend to agree with that. I think that what happens is as the child becomes uh, more pushed into footwear, um, the foot becomes contained. It's especially occlusive footwear, and uh, some of the synthetic footwear is particularly bad. Also, if we just look at the basic mechanics of the body, as the uh, body size increases, the mass of the body actually increases disproportionately to the area or the size of the feet. So there's a greater stress being placed on the foot, uh, or, or each foot, and so consequently there's more muscle activity going, which generates more heat and more perspiration. 
If a child has another skin condition like eczema, are they more prone to have this foot condition? Not necessarily, but eczema can go along with um, the sweaty sock syndrome. The paradox with eczema is that the uh, skin actually appears to be very dry and um, has a very dry appearance, where in the sweaty sock or the juvenile plantar dermatosis, the foot actually looks very shiny and is very moist. So if a child has eczema, it doesn't mean to say he's going to get, he, she is going to get this foot condition as well. Not necessarily, no. It could run together. Yeah, well, they can run together. They often are closely related because of the hyperhidrosis or the sweating, Mm. but it's not necessarily that one necessarily goes with the other. Do boys get it more than girls? Boys tend to get the hyperhidrosis more than girls, and I think in general, in practical effects, I think the boys do tend to suffer with it more. I think they're a little less attentive to their footwear than Mm. the girls are, and uh, so I think we tend to find that a bit more commonly. Do you think that the girls also tend to wear sandals more often than boys do? That's a very good point, actually. Uh, Getting just back to the footwear, it's very important, as we said, the closed-in footwear allows the temperature in the shoe to rise dramatically, and so wearing a sandal is good. It's rather funny, actually, if we look in Australia, there's always this big thing about the poms wearing socks and sandals, and you can appreciate that being being a feral pom. But the thing is, if we look at it, uh, essentially in the Newcastle-Sydney region, we live in a Mediterranean climate. North of us, we're getting into outright tropical climates, and yet to wear a closed-in shoe is quite stupid. But then other people say that wearing a sandal without footwear on doesn't look attractive, da-da-da. So really a sock and a sandal is really quite a practical alternative. So mm. I don't know how long that will take to catch on, but certainly it's a good way mm. to prevent the condition. When it presents itself, whereabouts on the foot does it actually show? Well, look, as the name implies, a juvenile plantar dermatosis, if we think of plantar, it's the area of the foot that gets planted. So it's basically mm. the sole of the foot and it normally uh, just remains on the contact areas where the sweat, the sweat sock is likely in contact most of the time. So the heel would have the same problem? The heel and the balls of the foot mainly. Mm. What does it look like if a child says to its mother, Mum, I've got a sore foot or I've got an itch or something, does it itch? Well, not necessarily, no. It normally tends to look as a very shiny, um, what we call erythematous, uh, plaque-like, sort of red swollen patches on the foot. It's very, very shiny, and it has that sort of funny, shiny, sort of gloss look. It's mm. hard to explain without a photograph. Does the skin peel? Yes, it can peel, and it can become, in bad conditions, it can become cracked. And, and a further condition that can, be, can occur is a more chronic form called pitted keratolysis which actually is a bacterial uh, condition as well. If they just have the, the dermatosis, is it in itself painful? Uh, yeah, well, look, it can be painful if left, as I say, if it can become uh, uncontrolled, um, but other times it can just be more of an irritant, just a slight mm. um, uh, flaking and things, but yeah, in some conditions it can become very debilitating. So the kids could indeed, particularly the, at the beginning of the summer term when they're in that February, March time when it's really very hot they could be in for quite a traumatic time oh, with with their feet absolutely yes yes and that's why good management is important and good footwear and good sock regime you're listening to well-being and i'm talking today with stephen boskill a newcastle podiatrist stephen if a child has juvenile plantar dermatosis do you find it easy to diagnose Look, to um, a person that's used to treating these things, yes, it's, it's quite a straightforward diagnosis. Dermatology can be quite tricky, um, so diagnosing things off the internet is fine to get an idea, but um, shouldn't be taken as gospel. But uh, any 
um, good podiatrist or general practitioner should be able to diagnose this quite readily. Is it infectious? No, it's not infectious. Um, it's just a condition caused by, as we said earlier, mm. the, the excessive perspiration being trapped in the foot and that reaction on the skin, which breaks or changes the skin's uh, ability to withstand breakdown and mm. extra forces. Does it itch in itself? No, not necessarily. It, it doesn't. It's not really the, the specific diagnosis is itching. It can itch, but it isn't the major factor. Mm. So it would just be it's sore when the child puts his foot down. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What's the treatment for it? Well, the treatment for that really is to, like any good medical uh, regime, is to look at the cause and try and prevent that. So when we look at that, as we've repeatedly said, it's footwear, including the uh, evacuation of excessive moisture. So what we need to do is look at good footwear. Um, certainly that excludes all sort, forms of um, plastic-type shoes. We actually mm. see uh, similar conditions in a lot of older people that like to wear some of these cheap mm. plastic zip-up shoes. That's um, what a question I'm going to talk to you about later, <laughs> okay. but that's fine. Yeah. Yes, so we need to get that. And also we need to look at, um, uh, say, good leather shoes for one, or perhaps an aerated-type shoe, a sort of canvasy style shoe, provided mm. it has good biomechanical support. Um, proper socks, we don't use nylon socks. Uh, girls who start wearing n uh, nylon stockings and things, very bad. You know, should try and yep. wear a natural fibre sock. However, having said that, there are some synthetic socks now that do um, actually transport the perspiration straight through from the foot to the outside of the sock, and they don't absorb any um, perspiration whatsoever, so they're quite a good alternative. Um, but in general term, natural fibres are a lot better than, than the straight-out synthetics. Mm. Um, hygiene regimes are very important. Um, by that I mean we shouldn't, if, you, if a child or a person does suffer with this problem, you should alternate footwear. Some children now wear sneakers and things up to 14 hours a day straight, mm. and they become mm. quite rancid, and um, <laughs> they actually run by themselves half the time, I think. Um, so we should be looking at regular changes. Um, often I, I advise people in industry, for example, to take a spare pair of socks to work with them and just mm. take them off, say, at uh, morning tea, change the socks, leave them up to dry, and just do that through the day. That just helps maintain the, the balance in, of moisture. Um, insoles like uh, act activated charcoal or deodorized or medicated insoles are helpful. Um, let's say with two pairs of shoes. And the other thing is to have proper footwear that fits correctly. One thing I didn't, well, I brushed on it lightly, mm. is the use of the muscle activity in the foot which causes this condition. So if you have a foot that's operating badly, so you're excessively pronated, flat-footed, that mm. is, um, your foot's going to be working overtime to try and maintain its normal function, so generating more heat. So basically we're looking at um, proper supportive footwear, um, aerated footwear. An old trick that can be done sometimes actually is just on the instep of the shoe is to punch a couple of holes in the shoe, and as your foot goes up and down, it does actually pump air in and out. But, of course, it will let water in. So. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I just see the kids mm. paddling around in the puddles on their way to school if it ever rains again. You talked about hygiene and they need to keep their feet clean and fresh. What about using powders? Okay, well, look, if we just uh, jump back a little on that, um, one of the other treatments is to uh, regularly wash the feet in an antibacterial soap in warm water, not hot, I must stress mm. that, and then rinsing them off in nice cold water and lightly patting them dry is effective. One of the old things was to use is to make a brew of tea. <laughs> that might sound funny, but two large tea bags and about half a litre of boiling water. And uh, I stress for those that are hard of hearing, the boiling water doesn't go on the feet yet. Uh, you then add about two litres of cold water to the brew 
and when that's cooled down, you soak the feet for about 30 minutes a day, uh, for about 10 days, and that literally has, has a tanning effect on the skin from the tannic acid in the tea. That's meant to be quite mm. effective. Another way is to use um, a diluted vinegar um, solution and to soak your feet in that. The use of powders, now this is quite important. A lot of people use baby powders and things on the feet. Mm. Now, it's not to be recommended. As we said, we've got 500-odd uh, uh, sweat cells per square centimetre, 3,000 of the square inch. And so putting normal powders in tends to block the, the sweat ducts and, and the mm. pores of the skin up. And what that can do is that it can then form a nice, moist medium in which, again, our bacteria and fungal friends love to breed. So mm. if you are going to use a powder on the feet, it must be a proper antifungal and preferably mm. with an antibacterial component in it, so a specific foot powder. And is this available over the counter at chemists or would somebody need to come and see a specialist like yourself? No, no, you can buy that in supermarkets, various types, um, and chemists should be able to uh, provide that. Um, but I, trust me, I, I carry um, some specific brands, but no, in general terms, you should be able to buy it readily over the counter. Mm. Stephen, we talked about the particular footwear for these children as a preventative. How does this condition compare with athlete's foot? Well, athlete's foot is a different condition. In effect, it's a fungal infection. So we get, uh, or mycosis we call it. The easiest way to explain it to people is it's a bit like um, growing a different form of mushrooms on your feet. Um, they're all part of the fungal family. Mm. And so what happens is that uh, athlete's foot is tinea pedis and um, that can be caught through um, transmission through showers, even airborne um, fungal spores can be picked up and then that will breed in the hot, moist environment. So again, we're looking at the causes being basically similar, but in this case we've got an addition of a fungal uh, infection. Does JPD have anything to do with plantar warts? No. Plantar warts are essentially a benign tumour caused by the human papilloma virus. So again, this is a viral infection and I should stress here that um, it is highly contagious, so anybody with warts should have them treated. Mm. The shower should be bleached um, to make sure it's not uh, being spread around the family. If people are going to use a common shower, then they should at least wear a thong or something in that shower um, to prevent transmission. Mm. But essentially, again, though, the hyper-sweating in the feet can cause um, the skin to become softened, and then if a virus uh, particle is around, say, in a shower, um, it can mm. quite easily enter the skin. So... To a degree, the altered skin condition does make it more susceptible to viral, bacterial and fungal infections. What do plantar warts look like? Horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, a lot of people um, confuse them with corns, but there is a a difference. They look like, I suppose, a raised pepper pot to a degree. They tend to be round um, and they have a lot of sort of multiple black dots or holes like appearance, mm. and so they're yeah. actually quite different. They're sort of spongy-like things. And, and extremely painful too, I think. Yeah, they can be very painful. The mm. way to tell the plantar wart basically from a corn is that a corn will be more painful with direct pressure, but a plantar wart will be much more painful to squeezing. How do you treat a plantar wart? Very difficult, actually. They're things that have a mind of their own. Now, I use a various set of regimes from acid treatments, um, mild acid treatments. Um, you can cryotherapy them, but freezing them out. Mm. Um, there's another technique that uh, I use called blunt, blunt dissection. And it's very important, I should stress here actually, if anybody is going to have any wart um, treatment done on their foot, especially the bottom of the foot, and I'll stress on the, on the plantar surface of the foot, be very, very careful not to have anything cut out. 
Yeah, because once you get a scar on the foot, it can be a lot worse than the original condition of the wart, in that it goes on and on and on, and basically there is no treatment for it. The other way I do use is a uh, high-powered laser machine, um, where mm. we actually um, burn the wart out and then we blunt dissect it, which isn't cutting, mm. and then that... It, takes a little time to heal over, but it, when it resolves, there is no scarring at all. Mm. So it's, uh, yeah, but again, with all these treatments, I always stress to people that there is no cast iron guarantee that they don't return because the virus is there and it has a mind of its own. That's what I was going to ask you next. Are they likely yeah. to return? Most times, no, but mm. there's no guarantee. They, they can. They can pop up. We get things, say, in children, we get sort of lines of warts appearing on the knees and things, mm. and that's called the Kerbner phenomena. So it tends to have... Um, very unpredictable and sometimes the old thing of not buying a wart for a penny or a hypnosis on a wart can work because it's all tied up with the immune system which is all tied up with um, our mental conditions do plantar warts affect all ages or is it just a child's thing or a young person's thing mainly it tends to occur in the younger children i think as their immune systems are beginning to mature but mm. certainly no, it goes all through life mm. um some people are very susceptible to catching the warts others seem to be quite resistant to it so there's it you tend to find it more commonly in younger children, but certainly it can go on through life. You mentioned there about corns as well. They're something that affect all ages too, aren't they? Well, absolutely. Uh, again, as you get a bit older, as the weight of the foot um, is, or, or the actual s stress, the load over the area of the foot increases with increasing body mass, and also footwear becomes more demanding, say, for work duties. Mm. Um, we're trying to cram a quart into a pint pot, and then any rubbing of the skin will cause um, a corn, which is just really a basic reaction to the skin trying to protect itself against overuse. So again, that all sheets back to good footwear, mm. getting the biomechanics of the feet checked properly, and uh, common sense, basically. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols, and today I'm talking to podiatrist Stephen Boskill. Stephen, with the weather getting warmer, do you often get asked whether children should wear rubber thongs? <laughs> no, I don't want get asked. We get presented with it. The kids come in. Look, really, I don't have too much of a problem with kids doing that, provided their feet are, are basically sound. Now, if a child has a major biomechanical problem, I would tend to say, no, they shouldn't wear the thongs. A lot of podiatrists may disagree with me here. But, look, I think if the foot basically is OK, then the thong is perhaps better than just tramping over rough ground and getting cuts and whatever. However, if the foot isn't functioning properly then a thong is not going to allow the foot to be controlled properly. And I always had this theory that you walk much more carelessly if you have something on your foot than if you're walking barefootedly. So in that case, I would um, advise people not to allow their children to wear thongs. What about the new plastic sandals? And I know that years ago these were quite widely used because they were cheap and, and they lasted a long time. But I've noticed recently that they're coming back into vogue. Are these a good thing for the kids to wear? Moderation in all things, I think, Iris. Now, some of the ones have more contoured insoles now, and they um, they seem to support the foot okay. Look, if they were wearing them for hours and hours a day, I'd say no. Mm. Um, but they are, look, they're fairly open. Um, I think any perspiration that does occur in the foot will probably just dry out fairly quickly. But if a child was wearing it day in, day out, every day, I'd say no, it's not a good thing. Mm. A lot of people go barefoot. As soon as the weather gets warm enough, the shoes and the socks come off. Apart from the risk of standing on something, is this a good idea? Well, I think it's a great idea. You're born without shoes, mm. and so I've always advocated that people you know, do go barefoot more. Um, the only people that shouldn't do this, of course, are people with diabetes who mm. have uh, peripheral 
uh, neuropathy, it's a lack of sensation in the feet, or any other medical condition where, say, a cut or something might become quite a major incident. But uh, other than that, I think if you're walking sensibly in bare feet, well, it's good. It allows the foot to articulate. And provided you haven't got it, again, Mm. with that proviso, that you haven't got any major biomechanical problem with your foot, yeah, go for it. What about when babies start to walk? Should they be encouraged to wear shoes that shape the foot or are they better off to walk barefooted too? Well, again, I I take the opinion that if the child's foot is, in quotes, normal, Mm. then let the child develop without shoes on. Again, if the child is going to walk in areas where it's going to cut its feet, then perhaps a very thin moccasin or something is good. But I think the... Uh, to allow the foot to develop its own tactile responses is a very good thing to do. Whacking them into shoes at an early age or encouraging a child to walk before they're ready to do so is, is quite deleterious. So in actual fact, nature's given us all the answers if we simply listen to it by letting the kids run barefoot as long as possible. Well, I think so, yeah. If we, if mm. we look back in, um, you know, again, you can't be hard and fast on all these things. There's, again, there's a moderation. There's times mm. to do and times not to do. But in general terms, yes. What about when kids grow up, they start to wear shoes that's about a size and a half too big, don't lace them up, tuck the laces in the side, and then seem to curl their toes up inside the shoe to keep the shoe in place. What damage does that fashionable thing do to the foot? Well, I think it damages the parents and it damages the podiatrists. <laughs> they have to try and persuade them to do the shoes up properly. I've often asked kids what the uh, string things are called that go on shoes. Uh, and I have to explain to them what laces are for. But look, the damage that is occurring, again, coming back to my little pet theory about you place your foot more carelessly on the ground if it's got a covering on it, is that when they walk, they just run along and the foot's floating around inside the shoe. It's migrating backwards and forwards and to and fro. But the other thing is, again, because they're sticking the foot down carelessly, if they walk downhill, instead of the shoe holding the foot around the instep and allowing the toes to be free-floating in the front, the foot goes up to the front of the shoe and bangs the toes on the fronts of the shoes, curls the toes over, um, can damage the toenails, cause ingrown toenails. Um, as you were saying, they curl their toes up to hold the shoe on. So we're getting this learned sort of claw, hammer-toe type development taking place at an early age. Would that continue on into adult and old age, this sort of hammer-toe and hanging on, the fact that their toes are, are becoming deformed, hanging on? Well, yes. Well, once it tends to take that um, deformed shape, it can go on. It's a, a fellow called Wolf. Um, had a theory of it still holds good. Wolf's mm-hmm. law for bones is that bones are elastic and will, or the body will conform to the shape that's put upon it. Hence the old Chinese binding of, sh- of feet up. Mm. So if the toes, when they're before their bones are actually fully ossified or calcified, um, if they're soft and they start locking into that position, once it starts to actually harden into that position, it's left for life. When you see people come in to, to talk to you. Do you often sort of shudder at the things they do to their feet under the name of fashion? Well, I think nowadays we're a little better off. I think people tend to wear more what they want. Um, Mm. There is a trend to going back now to the stilettos and the high heels. But, yeah, it's amazing how people, uh, sometimes actually in a lot of the older people, you do find these things that people are teetering around on shoes. And I say, look, if you fall over, you break your hip. Yeah, it's hard to get through to some of the people. I think the younger generation nowadays, I think they... Thank goodness they seem to be more free-thinking. What they, what they like is what they wear. Hopefully that will continue. You've got a, a young parent with a baby, let's say, from 18 months old. They're starting to, to run around. What should a parent be looking for in a child's foot that could give them some warning of, of problems ahead? 
That's very difficult to really prescribe at that. I mean, obviously, if the children's feet are grossly interned, mm. um, so they're very, very pigeon-toed, that's a, um, a sign to look at. If the child's repeatedly falling over, if the child's legs don't look, in quotes, normal, I mean, the, the position of the legs from, from bow leg to being slightly knock knee mm. changes with age. But certainly, look, by the age of about three or four, or certainly by four, the child should be developing a bit of an arch in the foot. Most children's feet at the age because of the baby fat, and they are also naturally pronated at that age, do look flat-footed. So if a child's foot is flat-footed, well, it's worth having feet checked. Um, but they all tend to look rather flat-footed. But if they're really, really you know, absolutely flat pancake, then mm. it's worth getting the feet checked. Does the problem of flat feet, can this go right through to adulthood? Oh, yes, it's probably one of the most common podiatry conditions as far as biomechanics go. Um, we get it what we call the pronated or flat foot which will then lead off into a lot of conditions like, not always, but bunions mm. uh, caused by that, and the big toe pushes out. You get a lot of knee pain, hip pain, low back pain, even neck pain can be caused by all these conditions. And, of course, the flat foot, it's a foot that doesn't absorb shock very well. If you had flat feet in the First World War, um, you weren't accepted in the Army. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's amazing when you think something basically as, as a flat foot would keep it's you out of the Army. Reasonably simple, mm. yeah. Mm. Stephen, any general advice for for parents of whatever age, school age children? Well, look, I would say it's very hard now. With again, I haven't I eat my own words here a bit. We get the peer group pressure at school, mm. um, especially for girls. They're wearing shoes. Um, I know some of these shoes have, to, although they're sort of fairly wide heeled, they tend to have a fairly high chunky heel. I won't mention any brands. Now, mm. it's quite amazing how many girls do want to wear that, and they get quite upset if you say go back to the old traditional leather school shoe with a flatter heel but um, I had um, a few girls coming in and had all sorts of problems and pains and things and I, I looked at the thing the orthotics I'd made were fine no problem there her biomechanics basically weren't too bad but she had these shoes and I and they just bought the shoes and I was so sorry for parents because you know the dollars don't come too easily for most of us mm-hmm. and uh, I said look I'm sure you should really go and buy some more shoes and then, of course the Histrionic started to come on. Perhaps I'm an old fuddy-duddy, but perhaps I think schools should insist on a basic footwear type, mm. and that would stop a lot of this stuff at schools. Mm. The parents reluctantly went out and bought some new shoes, and the problem solved like that. But if you look at it, a, a shoe that's got a too high a heel will cause the whole timing of the way we walk from heel to toe, certain percentages, it will catapult someone from that crucial heel strike, shock-absorbing phase of, of the heel strike, and the gait pattern, it'll catapult them straight off to a full foot loading and it alter the whole, what we call the kinetic chain of the body, up through the leg, up through the hips, through the back and cause all sorts of problems. And just flipping back to what we said earlier about the bones being soft, if that bad function follows on through adolescence, it starts getting locked in and then we get all sorts of problems for later life. So it's crucial. So I think really look, the parents should just go back to the old things. Look, you know, my word is my word and within reason be tough, you know. <laughs> On that note, Stephen, thank you. Thanks. (laughs) My guest today has been Newcastle podiatrist Stephen Boskill. Thank you for coming in, Steve. My pleasure. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. And on behalf of all the team here, this is Iris Nichols wishing you well.